There it is. All right. Hello, gentle folk of the internet. And we can see the time on that. Oh, so this good. is the Kindness Economy podcast, and we are your hosts. My yeah. name is Rebecca, bonus parent Baba on all of the various Instagrams and whatever. And the thing, in my the name is cool. Courtney King. I'm a co-host. Yes. Um, and you can find me on the internet in all sorts of places uh, at C King Solutions. That's the letter C as in Courtney. King, as in King, because that's me, seeking. Mm -hmm. It's an awful pun. I love it, but it's awful. I mean, I'm a fan of dad jokes myself. <laughs> seeking solutions on Instagram, seeking underscore solutions on Twitter, and uh, seeking solutions Oakland on Facebook. Oh, we're going to have to consolidate that. Yeah. That needs to get consolidated. Yeah. It's okay, though. Yeah. We can work on that. And what are we going to be talking about this week? I am super, super deep into self-care because it was my birthday and that's the, I mean, that's how I want to spend my birthday. It's about you. And um, I am going to talk about a podcast class that I'm into mm. and uh, don't fight the future. <laughs> oh, this week I'm going to talk about uh, journaling as a practice, uh, curation, cataloging, and conservation also as a practice, and uh I want to talk some about post-capitalism. Mmm. Mmm. Big words. And just, just cause. Okay. Just cause. I'm into that. Just cause. <laughs> First, we're going to talk about our self-care. Mm-hmm. Oh, birthday time. Birthday time is awesome. You got to soak. Oh. I am so envious. Went to Wilbur Hot Springs. Super awesome. Soaked for days. There's days. Just, I mean, there's just no better way to spend my time personally. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. And then I got to see, uh, my applied kinesiologist on Monday and I have not worked out at all. And I'm just not going to feel bad about that. I'm just going to be like, that's ah, fine. Yeah. Soaking is fitness. It is. So, uh, that is, I mean, it's a quick and dirty self-care, but it's just so good to just soak. Did you meditate while you were up there? I did a lot. Yeah. I did a lot of meditating. Yeah. I did a lot of time as a tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. And then trees. I spent a lot of time uh, exploring like being water. Because soaking. The changing of state. Because it was also raining. And so it was raining and it's and soaking in the rain. And you're just like hearing the creek bubbling next to you. And it's just like so much water. And um, meditating on just the concepts of water changing states and that there's times when you need to change states. Mm. When changes is happening in your world, sometimes you need to be um, cold and hard. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult. You can't stay there. You can't stay there. But sometimes that's what you need to do. And sometimes you need to be light and air and mobile in that way and... You can't stay there either. It's difficult to breathe there. <laughs> um, but just like the concept of having flow and moving and being in the state you need to be in when that's where, where you're at. So that was like my big, super fun meditative things. Word. Super fun. Oh, I'm on day sounds... like 55. Ah, uh, mm -hmm. for, for meditation. For meditation. Mm -hmm. mm, I, I just hit 101 days Fun. total 
I think I'm on 97 days in a row. And it is, I think it's having an impact. It does definitely. What do you feel like the impacts are to you? Mm, that there is much more slowing down. Um, I, I've listened to a lot of the Jack Kornfeld section on uh, Insight Timer. And there are several talks and a couple of guided meditations that are very good for um, dealing with things in the midst of difficulty. Um, a meditation on wishing loving kindness on everyone around you. Oh, yeah. uh, like, you know, wishing equanimity on people around you. What is equanimity? Uh, I don't know, sort of like the, the crunchy. equal-like, yeah, the not quite. Kind of the crunchy version. Tec I don't want to say like the technical version of loving kindness, but okay, much more making sure that everyone has what they need. They're the loving more... kindness version of congruent. Yes. Yes. Just like, Algebra just wins like... again. <laughs> <sighs> equations. Word uh -huh. equations. Um, that might be geometry. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Math. I love me some math. Uh, um. And there, were, there are a couple of things I've noticed that in the Jack Kornfeld meditations, he does drop in silences. So I have a chance to sort of sit in my discomfort. If you've listened before, I have that discomfort around mm -hmm. silent meditation, but he'll pause and there's just this huge stretch of silence and it's just enough for me to start going, um, Start to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then he starts talking again and I'm like, right, rabbit, got it, chase it. <laughs> Fine. So, yeah. We've been meditating with the kids before bed it's so cute yay and they can almost sit for five minutes oh mm -hmm. so precious they're and they get to and i i do the guided part of it mm -hmm. um and so they get to pick whether we're going to be fire mm -hmm. or water mm -hmm. or i have another one now that like i've sort of made it like living statue in a creek and the creek slowly breaks you down till you're a puddle till you're nothing and then it's just light so that's like our earth one um yeah it's Yay. yeah they get they get to choose and what we do and then we do it and then bedtime's usually a lot easier that day it's remarkable go figure we do it right before bed we all do it together mm -hmm. it's really cute yeah no that that's good stuff as far as uh my body goes like i've i went back to the gym uh there are these things called there are exercises that you do and then exercises that have uh, what's called an isometric component. And uh, the isometric part is, how do I describe this? It's the part that... It's time under it's, tension. Yeah. In a reverse. Yes. So for me, they were having me do isometric chin-ups. So you don't pull yourself up over the bar. You jump up or you, you know, like you get a chair or a block and you stand at the bar and then step off the block and you're holding yourself up at the bar and you slowly let yourself down. So it's a workout, but it's just a workout on the way down. You're not doing anything on the way up. Um, they had me do those and then had me lift my legs up uh, at a 90 degree angle or as close as I could get to a 90 degree angle, they called it pike position, and then lower myself slowly. And that 
was a whole nother animal. That has left me in a world of hurt today. My arms, my biceps, my armpits, uh, stuff in my back, my abs, it hurts to cough this morning. But it's satisfying in a way that, hey, I did a thing and I'm feeling pretty damn good about it. And I was not able to do it before. I actually saw something uh, the first time they tried to get me to do anything related to hoisting myself up or letting myself down with the bar was back in April, maybe May. And it took until October before I could do an isometric without just collapsing on the bar. So now that I can do band assisted chin-ups and then like lift my legs up and lower myself is, it is slow, but it is steady progress. And it's very satisfying to look back and see growth and progress there. Like, yay, that's a thing. I learned a new uh, banded assist technique mm-hmm. where you use the J-cup. What's a J-cup? The J-cup is the thing that you put the bar on when you have a giant steel rig. Yeah, <clears throat> It's a thing that keeps you from dropping the bar. Yes. It holds the bar for you. Yeah. It holds the bar for you. Yeah. And you can also use it to step up for a pull-up or chin-up if oh, you're short. I didn't even think of that. Like me. <laughs> You need a little boost up. But what we were doing was take the J-cups on either side of where your pull-up bar is, Mm -hmm. and you can put the band there so it's like a bouncy house thing. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Instead of like where you put it above you with the bar and and you you put it under your foot, where like dismounting from that, it's like I am very flexible and I can do a really good job of getting my foot up high enough that it doesn't rip my face off to I, get out of the band but there's a like face ripoff risk of getting out of the band when you're not strong enough to do your pull-ups so i'm doing the band like a bouncy house across horizontally exactly now there's a risk here too the risk here is that when you dismount from this you have to just step forward mm-hmm. it is fast you have to go very fast because the risk, if you don't go fast enough, is that band is going to come back and smack you in the back of the head. Oh. And I got the little hairs back here and I could feel it like doing the... <laughs> it was <laughs> scary. I was like, oh, you got to move off yeah, that. Move it. Move it. Okay. But it, And it sounds terrifying. The coach was a little nervous for my safety, but I was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no blood, no foul. No blood, no foul. It's fine. Um, so... That was my new, I've been, I actually improved on my chin-ups too with a new banding technique. And I have one more. I went from five to six with my band-assisted pull-ups. Hey. Very excited. Yeah. Like you got to celebrate that shit. Mm -hmm. That is good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about food. Mm. Because I know we talk about like a lot of different um, care techniques and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But food to me is so complicated and so important. It, yeah, well, yeah, it, it's... And now that, that it's largely like been commodified, getting good food is really hard. And it's really expensive, so it creates a stratification immediately where we 
I'm sure you've heard about food deserts where it's like difficult to get vegetables in poor neighborhoods because they're perishable. So like you can only really stock things that have a shelf life, which is going to be stuff that's all filled with preservatives and stuff that's not good for people. Like you can, you can go grocery shopping at the Dollar General, but they're not going to have the freshies. Mm -hmm. And largely, um, that the dollar store phenomenon has created a situation where like small grocers are really under pressure Mm -hmm. because the fresh food is largely a lost leader for them. And the money is really coming from those shelf items that are have the longer shelf life. So they have, yeah, yeah, they have the larger margins on those items and they're losing that those sales now. So it's just like you, what I try to do is just have intentionality about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And and especially since Whole Foods got bought by Amazon, like I don't think I'm stopping Amazon by not shopping at Whole Foods anymore. Like I don't have any illusions that that's going to be the case. Right? Like Amazon's, <laughs> Amazon's huge. Nothing's Amazon stopping Amazon. <laughs> okay? What I'm trying to do is keep my local grocers alive. That is a different objective and that I think is super important so I stopped going to Whole Foods and I walk a little bit further to make sure I'm going to buy right or Molly Stones which Mm. is still like they're still corporate they're still big things but I feel like those are the ones that are going to survive yeah like the smaller grocers unless they get on with um social media marketing which I feel like if they did it's kind of amazing they could totally save themselves because like the chains or the the indi- tiny the individual indies. stores because yeah like in in just the way that the facebook marketing works you can do it by location so like you just you know you focus create on a your system blast radius you got your blast radius you focus on the where you can have people deliver by foot and hire people to deliver within two hours just like everybody else and you set your area where that's a thing you can actually hit and you saturate that market. <laughs> It'd be cheap because you don't have to target at all. Because everybody's right there. Everybody's right there. You just the, the targeting is the, the geolocation. That, I think, would really, really help those small grocers is being able to penetrate that market. Yeah. And I, like we have a market at the end of our block. Like we're in East Oakland. Um, and our market, it's like a... Um, Mm, late 60s early 70s size supermarket like Mm -hmm. it was supermarket for back then but it's just a grocery store now right um and they have they've got a butcher counter and a huge vegetable section and they also have a huge uh new orleans food section which again my like my dad's side of the family's from new orleans so when i walked in and saw like all the things and went Like, this is at the end of the block. This is amazing. So I've been, like, trying to shop there more and give, like, throw business their way. They have great deals. They also have started specializing in bringing in Egyptian foods. They have a huge Mexican food section. Like, they're going, like, very specific targeting Mm -hmm. as far as what food they bring in. But the other thing that they do is if you want something, just ask them and they'll order it Mm -hmm. and it feels like that sort of specific uh specialization 
And they've rearranged the store so like their specialization has gotten more specialized, mm -hmm. which has been great to see. But it also feels like it started happening around the time that Amazon bought Whole Foods, where they're like, okay, we need to do something. To like move. I could see this mm -hmm. is this is a response. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very happy to see that response. Mm -hmm. I was elated to see that response. Um, the so, same thing happened yeah. to my dairy. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah, the, I, I get my milk product from St. Benoit Creamery. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the change happened when Amazon took over Whole Foods, they cut St. Benoit Creamery because, I, I don't know this, but my assumption is they kept the glass bottles mm -hmm. and insisted on that deposit. Okay. And then I was still getting them through another vendor mm -hmm. and I was still paying my bottle deposit and mm -hmm. then the bottle deposit went away. <laughs> they came back to Whole Foods and then they switched to plastic bottles. Uh. Because like now that you're not sanitizing the bottles every time why are we shipping why? glass this is expensive the, that i was just like oh good nice good work way to be flexible don't don't stick to your guns right now you need to move adapt adapt overcome <laughs> <clears throat> this is not a time to be like i want to blah, 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 blah. and other things that happen like if they're managing the sanitation for that like that's all resource if it's they're doing it themselves that's space that they could be using for other things and if they're outsourcing it that's just an expense they can cut it, yeah that and i love seeing businesses making those decisions mm. i've also got like there's one grocer up here in one direction he's totally proactive super friendly at the door and mm. like if if you're new he'll be like if you need anything, just ask. Mm -hmm. If it's not here, I can totally order it for you. Yeah. Super proactive like that. There's another in the other direction. And they're the ones that are really going to struggle because they're the ones right next to the Whole Foods. Ah, uh, okay. And I think that in a lot of ways that that one experience is more of a language barrier. It's Chinese owned. Mm -hmm. um, but I've already, I, I was already seeing a drop in their quality when the Whole Foods went in. And now? And now that the Whole Foods has been taken over by Amazon, like I just barely go in there. Because I really, you really have to watch the expiration dates on their stuff now. Mm -hmm. Because they, they just don't have the turnover okay. to maintain fresh stock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the other thing about food that is really frustrating is, is proteins and maintaining quality proteins that are, you know, reasonable for the environment and also good for our bodies because of the commodification of food making food fast is the most important thing to commodification the the largest amount of food as fast as possible with the least amount of acreage required is the goal of capitalism however there's a problem with that the fats which by the way is all your brains folks the fats <laughs> the quality of the fats produced by quick-grown proteins, in particularly meat. Mm -hmm. um, your farmed fish also have the same problem where the omega balances of those meats, they're not good for you. And, like, there's a lot of theories that, like, you know, the, the uptick in uh, a, uh, neuroatypical 
it, it yeah. conditions. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? I don't know that that's the right word. Uh, uh, neuroatypical diagnoses. Mm-hmm. We'll go with that for now. If there's a better word, please advise. Well, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll search for it. Um, but like, like that's your brain. You need you need that for your brain. And then we also have these fad diets like keto, where you know keto was it ketogenics? Mm, yeah, like you're supposed to be eating this high fat, di- high fat, pr- high protein high diet. Protein. Well, if it's cheap fats and proteins, you're not helping yourself at all. No. And you know, if you read a book about your diet, you would have probably read that chapter, right? But most people don't. They just hear keto all over the place. Oh, this is a thing I should. This be is doing. a thing I should be doing. I should just, you know, stop eating all carbs. Well, that might help, but also like you really got to look into the quality of your meats and the quality of your fats and all of those fats are going to be more expensive. And just again, contributing to the stratification of like most people don't have access to good foods. Mm. And uh, the future, the future is going to be all about bugs for those proteins because it's really oh it took me a second to catch what you were saying like bugs, crickets as in like eating consuming bugs cricket yes. flower mealworms mm-hmm. got it i have a tattoo of a mealworm on my leg because it's important did you did, see that no i didn't see it oh that one yeah yeah it's right there yeah okay did you not hear that i bumped it you'd not hear it that's I amazing <laughs> i love these new mics um <laughs> so just you know uh understanding that in the future we're going to be eating less of these like it doesn't make sense to make cheap meat that is bad for us if we can make cheap meat that's good for us so let's get real comfortable with crickets and mealworms and like the aztecs had a very insect intense diet i don't know if most people know that i did a very large report on the aztecs in elementary school Uh, it's (laughs) it's a thing they make us do in california (laughs) anyway Ah. um so yeah, that's sort of my tiny rant on food, Oops. just because it's it's just yeah. a lot. It's so much. There's a lot, and we spend a lot of time on health stuff, but we haven't talked about food. The food, the fuel that you use in order mm-hmm. to make the things go. I'm going to confess, I like I hear bugs, and I automatically go, mm. nope, <laughs> uh, no. There's a lot of nope. There's a lot of no, like no. Um, <laughs> And that's me. That is my issue. I acknowledge that. Uh, But I also get, I get it. Like, I do see the logic behind it. Like, yes, that does make sense. But there's that that aversion. Mm -hmm. And I know that aversion is not just me. I know there's got to be somebody else listening right now that's going. There's a lot of that one. (laughs) I'm in camp now. (laughs) But, oh. But I don't know. I mean, I have eaten, uh, like I had muffins with cricket flour. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those, like I had an idea and I was like, don't don't tell me what all's going into this. Just let me eat this in peace. And then once I was done, I was like, now you can talk to me about what's in it. It's like soft shell crab or one of those like shrimps that's got the eyes. It's all deep fried. You just yeah, gotta don't, just don't, just don't, don't look, don't look in the at eyes. it. Don't, don't just shove it in your mouth and crunch it up. It's super good. Don't tell me what's going on with it. Just let me, just let me get it down, and then we can have the discussion. 
my mother did that with us with, with liver. She made like chicken liver for dinner. Yeah. And like just made it. Yeah. I was like, what do you think? First time I had squid. Mm-hmm. My parents told me it was pork chop. How did you hide squid in pork chop? Uh, ha- well, because they were hammering out the pork chop flat, mm. uh, battering it and frying it. They were also like slicing the squid flat, battering it and frying it. My godmother's Korean. So clever. So like they had the plates and I'm like, I'll take that. And they kind of look at each other and go, okay, and put the squid on the plates. <laughs> and I made a sandwich out of it. And like, I'm chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing and like finally get it down. It's like, okay. And I kept eating and my parents are like, awesome. Yes. <laughs> She's eating squid. <laughs> Yeah. T- yeah, and they told me afterwards, and I was kind of like, if I had known, you wouldn't have gotten involved. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have eaten it. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. like sometimes, sometimes that might be what needs to happen. Like instead of saying, "But like, sit down, you need to eat bugs because this is what's good for you." Maybe it's. I mean, maybe, you don't need to eat it live like a bird. Yeah, no, <laughs> that that ain't gonna happen. No, but doing more experimental baking with things like cricket flour or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, like doing a taste test, like blind taste test. There are ways, but oh, yeah, there's an uphill. I see that being an uphill shift. Mm-hmm. That's going to okay. be a thing. In the future, in the future, when we're eating cricket flour for all the things, I'm going to remember the salmon. I'm going to remember the salmon, the delicious salmon that I used to have. The tasty, tasty the fishes. Tasty, <laughs> mm, the real fish. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's the future. It's okay. It's the future. I have a bath cycling that I did that I really enjoy. Say that one more time. Bath? Bath cycling. Not like a bicycle in the bath. Although now that I've said it slowly, that's what it, that's what it sounds like. And that's hilarious. Right now. That would be hilarious to bicycle in the bath, but that's not what we're talking about. I am confused. It's okay. Tell me more. Um, it's, uh, it's just going from doing the cold for like minutes. Yeah. And then getting back in the hot, yeah. And actually doing, I want to do that three times and be in the, in the water for at least, I actually got to get through the water f- for five minutes in the cold water total, oh. not oh, all total. at once, okay. total. If- so it was like two minutes, mm-hmm. two and a half minutes, two and a half minutes. Okay. So wait, that's more than five. Mm. That is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of nice. Cause you get that high when you get back in the hot water. That's what I'm into. Yeah, that that high mm-hmm. is so delicious, it's so good. You're like your whole body's tingling when you get into that hot water again. Mm-hmm. Mm, so good. That is the good stuff. <sighs> do you know? I'm gonna talk about one of our friends. Sure. Do you know go Sandwich? Ahead. I do know Sandwich. I think she's a member of the Hundred Degree Club. I don't know what that means. Uh, Sandwich works in Antarctica. Uh, they do the sauna or like hot room. Or a hot plunge. Mm-hmm. And then they run out in the snow in Antarctica. Oh. <laughs> and then they go back. It's like a 100-degree swing. Whoa. <laughs> That's more than I could do. Yeah, Sandwich was in my village at Burning Man in 2008. Okay. Like you do. Yeah. You have friends named Sandwich at yeah. Burning Man. Well, yeah, I met so Ryan, I met Sandwich at Burning Man as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I was actually just thinking about the most important thing that I learned at Burning Man that year. I planned 
for an entire year to go to Burning Man. <laughs> My friends were coming home from Burning Man in 2007, and I was like, yep, getting on tribe.net, oh. and I'm going to search all the things that I can about Burning Man. And then I got, and I got all my equipment and I went out for 4th of July. I had to yes. test my equipment yes. and like, yes, I was actually on a crew. So I was out there for a week and a half before the burn even started. Yes. And like I was out there for like three weeks total. And I realized that the sparkle ponies, the sparkle ponies were there. And what a sparkle pony is, is somebody who shows up without any equipment and mm. and they look cute or whatever they do but like they didn't do anything to prepare for the reality of what they're finding themselves in so the sparkle ponies are people who have no equipment they're cute they don't know what they're doing and i'll be honest they seem to be having more fun than me <laughs> and i was bitter <laughs> i was bitter at the sparkle ponies for having more fun than me because i planned I put a lot of energy into my planning and I felt like my planning entitled me to have a good time, but it just entitled me to a plan. Yeah. And, um, and I had to sit with, you know, do you want to just make a plan because you enjoy making a plan or do you think that making a plan entitles you to something? Because, because if you think it entitles you to something, maybe you should just stop that. And then I decided that I just, like to plan and so i'm just gonna do it because i like to if you're enjoying <clears throat> the plan enjoy the plan but then understand it does not entitle you to anything mm -mm. so that was my big takeaway from burning man like in that way that everybody oh my god this one time at burning man that's what just happened right now i just wanted to make sure we put that into the show <laughs> this one time <laughs> this one time at burning man in 2008 Oh. I learned about my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so that is our uh, self-care section. Yeah. We're going to come back and do the business. Yeah. We'll hit the business. Hello, gentlefolk of the internet. It's Rebecca. And welcome to our February edition of Community Arts. I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a few art projects blossoming out of the San Francisco Bay Area. It's Black History Month. Get your Black Lives Matter shirt and support a woman of color-led business out of Oakland. Oakland Pearl Design is an Etsy shop making social justice inspirational t-shirts and prints. Shirts are soft and comfortable. I know because I bought some for myself and my family. The watercolor print design is produced in-house. The screen print on the t-shirts are water-based so it doesn't feel like a giant sticker on your chest. Lots of links, of course, in the show notes. Up next, I was stoked to be invited to speak about Midtown Social. They are a band that has been working and touring for five years and have just funded their first full-length album, including Stretch Goal. They have 128% funded their project, but the work never ends for artists in the brutal housing market of the Bay Area. What I love about watching my friends work this project is that they get it. They get that you need to be interacting with your fans all the time to build the movement that they want. They tour, they market, they are working class musicians just doing and loving the work. Our audiophile listeners will note the availability of vinyl for your pledge reward options or just give because you want to see good art from awesome bands. Finally is an expansion project for Dark Garden Corsetry. As a young goth kid, I was often available to help 
folks adjusting corsets in the bathrooms as I came and went. I don't wear them personally, but I do appreciate them. In line with our rants about disposable retail, here's truly a tradeswoman making fine handcrafted apparel for all body sizes and skin tones to look and feel their very best. Dark Garden is an outstanding retailer, and New Orleans seems like the perfect fit for expansion for this company. For those not specifically looking to get a corset, there are hoodie pledge rewards, which is what I got myself. Links for this and everything else mentioned can be found in the show notes. Francis Oliveira Media and the producers of this show believe in the power of social justice and independent artists. In an effort to do our part, we proudly donate a portion of our reach to uplift underserved voices, particularly those in social justice education and independent artists of all types. If you would like your project featured in this monthly segment, please reach out to kindestecon at gmail.com. Be sure to include community arts in the subject line. I hope to hear from you in the future. Thank you for listening. And we're back. Back into the business. So I really want to talk about this class that I'm taking. Yeah, like what's it's up with that? It's kind of interesting to, I I decided to, my I put my kids in swim class mm -hmm. through the community center. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking through the community center catalog and they had a DIY podcasting class. Work. Which <laughs> seems like, okay, let's do that. And, um. I am the only one who has produced a podcast mm. in the last year, including the teacher. Wow. Um, wow. <clears throat> and the teacher was producing a podcast a while ago, but hasn't been like a year and a half or so. Okay. So I've been going through and showing up most days. Um, and I kind of feel like a jerk, like I'm, talking too much in class sometimes and I'm trying to be mindful but like I'm the person with answers I share and like so that's... that's been happening and I just sort of like you never know what level the class is going to be at mm -hmm. and I find it very valuable just for the sake of I really like the teacher he's um a sound engineer and sound master mm. and just like very very technical about his sound stuff and where like for av i've gone like an inch deep and a mile wide mm -hmm. he went like a mile deep on audio okay and like he knows like uh, so much about audio and like I, I barely understand what compression and eqing is and i kind of missed that part of class last night because i had to go put the kids to bed or rather night before last anyway I was like I'm gonna leave to put my kids to bed so yeah I'm not gonna be here for that um it makes me really confident honestly about what we're doing because I do know the answers I do have mm -hmm. an answer I don't know what it, the answer is I'm not like sure it's the right answer necessarily but I have an answer like if I have a question and I have pretty useful information that's been tested in production mm-hmm <laughs> um it's really nice to have an environment to feel confident with it mm -hmm. and yeah it's just super chill <clears throat> I don't think it was an entire waste of money but I also like I'm not 
yeah, I feel really uncomfortable about the taking over the class feeling. And I don't want to do that. But I also feel like I could probably do a better job. And it's not his class even. What do you mean? It was a class that was developed by someone else and that person doesn't work for the community center anymore. Oh. So this is the person with the most audio experience and who has produced a podcast at one time. Mm -hmm. So they're like, all right, you're qualified to teach this class. And he kind of seems to be like piecemealing it out of, you know, what people want to do that day. And I think for the most part, that's like obviously working for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is weird to feel like I know more than the teacher and to feel like um, maybe I shouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So that's been like, like I took it and I've been showing up and I'm just mm. like, I don't know that this is helpful. Has that changed how you feel about what's going on here? It's just made me more confident about what I'm doing and mm. that I have the ability to do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It has given me a lot of confidence in that. One of the other things that's brought up for me is just the time that it takes to produce. One of the other folks in the class is single father of three and like, doing community work and dealing with other, like has a job, mm -hmm. a jobby job mm -hmm. where they have to show up. Yeah. Right. Um, like I don't like, I have to be there for the kids and I can do this in between all those things. Right. It's not the same. No. It, and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that one of the things, it's just one of those things that you hear about when you start to get into these, um, like the internet gurus talking about mm, social media marketing and that you've got to produce something every day. It's like, yeah, mm. when you're 20, yeah, <laughs> you got time to produce something every day when you're like in your teens and living with your parents. But like the part in life when you've got kids and a house and responsibilities, those come first. And you just can't, pretend like oh I can just social media market as a second job well you got to learn it first mm. you got to test and retest and it all takes time and that's that's the that was the first thing like as soon as I, I got into YouTube I was doing it for a while before I was like oh this is so much work <laughs> this is not gonna do this is not gonna do it all yeah we need a we need fewer departments. Yeah, yeah. And that's where oh god, podcasting is so great. This. There's no set. I mean, there is. I, I put a little bit of. I mean, we we have the plant. We, we do have, have the plant. plant, but it's mostly the audio. I still haven't put out anything for yeah. the video. No, the like doing video. Ah, it's a pain in the ass. So much extra work. It's a work. pain in the ass. And I'm always like, hey, is my makeup okay? Uh -huh. If I put, yeah. I, mm. And I got super excited. And like, I know it's so much easier because I've done all this stuff the hard way before. Mm. I've been doing all this shit the hard way for decades. 
And I'm like, oh my God, it's so much easier. And I just sort of bounced around and sort of got into a bunch of different stuff. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This is all like just the hard drive space for video. Managing the hard drive space. <laughs> oh God, it's so much data. <laughs> Every minute is so much data. I can send yeah. emails with podcasts. Yes. Like, like they're, it's so much easier and accessible. Yeah. And like giving myself permission to not overproduce it and just giving other people like your life has to come first. That's how this works. And like listening to, to this person just sort of feel like they didn't get anything done in the last two weeks. It's like, no, don't you, trip you got life done you got life done you, it's so okay. producing a show or trying to do whatever like producing your life producing That's your life you is doing. more important than doing your homework from the community class from the community you know <laughs> uh center class you know so yeah the sort of that's been that was an interesting that was thing. thing that that for me yeah i just wanted to share no that's cool that's cool. Uh, I had an intake with a new client. And a lot of my clients are artists. I think that's because a lot of our friends are artists. That would be a, a good resource for you, yes. Yes. <laughs> but I, I actually tried to spread out and like work with other populations but no i do still wind up scoring artists even from outside our social circle circles and it dawned on me while i was doing that interview um my i like i worked my way through college working in libraries um so i'm very big on, like was doing research and shelving and making sure things were kept in the right way or in the right place. I graduated from college and I kept working in libraries. And at that point started working more with the people with the MLSs, like the, the people who went to grad school to become capital L librarians. Ah. Yeah. Um, and that it's a different section of the library and they have different specialties. And I was doing like, I was huge into research. I was in a library alone but also was getting trained in conservation and doing a lot of digital conversion. And working in digital conversion and conservation at the same time in the late 90s brought up a really interesting question for the field overall um, as far as the items. And the question was, is, is the library's duty to the physical object, the book, or is the library's duty to the information contained in the book? Mm. Is it the artifact or the information? I left libraries, went into nonprofits, and then wound up working at a museum, uh, Eastman House Museum of Film and Photography, Motion Picture and Photography. Clearly an artifact house. And well, it was in the early aughts. And that was when Kodak, and my partner was working at Kodak at the time, was having its big wrestling and reckoning 
with digital and digital coming up in the public market, not just in the professional sphere. And at the Eastman House, a lot, like they have the film or motion picture conservation school, and they had the photography conservation, like production and conservation. But again, that question started coming. It was like that, that question chased me from libraries where it's like, is your allegiance to the artifact, this object that's hanging on the wall, or is it to the technique that was used to produce it? Is there something significant about that that needs to be preserved? Or is it the information or sentiment contained within uh, the film? There's an early piece of film uh, going down Market Street, mounted on the front of a streetcar. Uh, they've played it at the Internet Archive. And like a an example question would be, what's significant about it? Is it that it's that is it that piece of physical film is it what's documented on it in which case it doesn't matter if you have the film or not um like what what is the value of things what's the value you assign to it what's the role that you assign to it so working with this artist to see whether or not we were going to work together i realized oh yeah there's this whole bent towards uh, editing and curation and removing things um, with people wanting to downsize and head towards minimalism. But when working with working artists, active artists with a catalog of works, there's a different process that happens. And a lot of what I do as an organizer working with artists borrows heavily from working in libraries and like the questions that I brought with me from libraries and museums. It's the, can you lay hands on the things you need? What are the tools that you use to produce? What are the, you know, what are the mediums that you work in? It could be fashion, it could be people, it could be props. What, like, what's your prop house? Um, you know, what's your tool shed? And then are you keeping the things that need to be stored in the manner that they need to be kept? Um, people will have, and this is sort of a parallel thing, people will have the comic collection that is deep, the comic collection that goes back to early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, but they've been kept in a non-climate controlled uh, garage for 10 years. And there, yeah, there's that. They might Even be in with your non-acid-backed plastic bags. <laughs> that's not good. Like, yeah, I've kept it in this box, and it's fun. No, no, that is not proper conservation. And yes, you have a comic collection, and yes, you may have curated it from your heart, but it wasn't kept proper. And that's the conservationist in me. You're talking so to me right now. I have to get rid of all of my comic books. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not, it's not, it's not your fault. It was just the, the, the attachment, the work that went into that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was one of the mediums of art that I immediately, once I became an adult was like, this is expensive and unsustainable. <laughs> uh, nope. And just, and, and immediately, like, once I made that decision, I, like, gave all my comics to somebody else. Yeah. I didn't want to worry about it. Go through 
what and it takes now to preserve. Only the only thing I buy is um, graphic novel mm-hmm. because it had to reach a amount of popularity to, to even be printed that way. And I'm not going to get really, really controlling and crazy about conserving it because I believe it has some sort of magical value or whatever. Like it doesn't. I just yeah. want to read the story. Yeah. I will focus on stories that are very popular. Graphic novels are so much easier and to manage. And they're just easier to manage. <laughs> you know, that, you need yeah. one plastic bag instead of five. That's yeah. stark. Oh. So yeah, you're I just, <laughs> comics is just right into my. Yeah. Oof. No, I. So I'm most, sorry I interrupted. You were no, talking no, about that. No, no, that was like, but that that's sort of the angle that I realized like, okay. Um, when I talk about meeting people where they are, that that's part of it. Like understanding that it's not just about minim like minimalism. It's about what are you doing with your life and how can your space support it? If your life is about creating these massive works or massive installations, okay, that's going to take a different footprint. That's going to take a different volume of stuff in order to make um if you're managing your own archive of works that's going to take its own space we can do that but you know is this like what role is that archive going to play and how is that going to serve like what's what role is that archive going to play in the long run and how will it serve you now mm-hmm. like that one of the things that I love to talk to artists about, and, and by love, I mean my friends get mad at me. Um, what copyright has done is put us in the position of constantly defending our past. Mm, yes. And this is just another thing of defending your past, yes. right? It's another, it's another putting yourself on defense sort of thing. Like, yes, I have this giant catalog of works, but I'm also broke. And I don't actually have the money to create an environmentally sound space that would actually protect it Mm -hmm. and keep it into the value that I believe it has. I I can't do that, but I'm not willing to let go. I'm not like, that's all energy doing all of those things, creating the space, making sure that it's okay for all of your things. Like what does that get you in the end? You're putting a lot of energy into defending your past and protecting your past. You could put all that energy into producing art for your future. Yeah, and that's where the the questions come up. Like, what is your allegiance to the physical, tangible thing? Is it that you're just... God, I'm going to get rid of so much shit today. Like, (laughs) motivated. If you're uh, motivated by the process... In which case the archive takes less, takes more of a backseat right. to making sure that you have a functional workspace and able you know, access to your tools and medium. Or is it the sentiment within, which means that the massive installation doesn't need to be preserved and you don't need to keep the pieces from it, but making sure that you have photographic evidence or you know, p- stories from people documented someplace there are like the information and the value of the thing change and it's not necessarily tied to the object so like that is that is a thing that is a thing and it, yeah 
I discovered that while journaling, of course, because I've been on a journaling kick. <laughs> yeah, the, the having a bunch of stuff, I, I've actually seen it when I went, I bought um, a painting that I saw hanging in a restaurant somewhere because it was super cute. Yeah. And it was, uh, I have them in there. I'll probably put a little picture on the, the show notes, but like it's, it's super cute little robots and the picture itself has been laminated. Mm -hmm. So, um, I have it in the kitchen in case yeah. it gets splattered. You can just wipe it down. Yeah. But when I went to this artist's house mm -hmm. and into his workshop to pick it up, like there's a whole top shelf of just, just, just filled with fr framed pictures mm -hmm. and paintings, just that uh, tons of little bitty robots on canvas that have been laminated, like scores of them, probably a couple hundred, and just mm -hmm. sitting on a shelf mm -hmm. up high. It's going to get nice and humid. Yeah. I mean, l luckily it's all lacquered, so there's that. Yeah, they're, they're somewhat protected. But it's not protecting the wood of the frame. It's no. not protecting the canvas no. from the other side. No. Yeah, <laughs> all those things. So that's real. You do get, I as an artist, honestly, I do it too. I do it, and it. I swear to God, my brain right now is exploding, and I need to just no, go no, through no. my closet. Don't, 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 don't go from zero to sixty. Don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't. What I like to do right now is because this is all gear that works. Yeah, I just give it to the kids. Okay. And if they break it, like they can use it to death, literal falling to pieces. That's great. That's a perfect use of it. Give it a Viking funeral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Let it wear itself out. A death one could be honored by. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I saw it. I think a Klingon said that somewhere. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very Klingon-y. <laughs> I, yeah, I just saw it on Star Trek. I don't really mean it. I don't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! All right, so like, is it my turn? Hmm? whose turn is it? I don't know. Did you want to go? Was there? I wanted to talk about users. The oh the yeah, users yeah, yeah. Because Twitter just released their user count for the first time. Where? And they have 1.2 million users per month, which is actually up two percent according to them. And I don't know. They haven't mm -hmm. released the numbers. We don't know. Oh, okay. Thanks for telling us. Like, are those bots? I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and Snapchat is, uh, I think down or stabilizing oh. at, uh, 1.86 million users per month, active users per month. Okay. And they have been really on the downward. Mostly really? they have, they have been for quite a while. Okay. Their stock price opened when they went public two years ago at around $17 or $18, I think. And like right now it's like seven or $8. That's not great. Oh, um, and oh they've my. been like they've been dumping users for a while too. And most of the things you hear about them are users saying, "Your platform sucks." So, all this right. is all this is all not news to me. But I like kind of looking at the numbers because the numbers for Facebook are 1.2 billion. And the first thing to say about that number is it's bullshit <laughs> because it's not really like. I want to get to the place where we understand the difference between users and people because a single person Ooh, will represent many users. Uh-huh. But we're still pretending 
like a user is a person. And it's not. Like, I know I have multiple Facebook accounts. I know a lot of my friends have multiple Facebook accounts. And having them sort of requires that you sign into them once a week or every other week at that minimum, for the most part, that's what people are doing. Bleh, depending. But, like, almost everybody that I know that is conscious of public persona... Mm-hmm. will have like a friends page and a business page. Yeah. So like, I mean, that's the thing about this these comparisons here is of these numbers. So yes, Facebook is operating in this thing that looks like multiple, you know, what is it? Oh, what's that word? Multiple degrees of magnitude, right? Like they're not, they're not. There's a lot of duplication in there. And I even have multiple people who have like three or four mm-hmm. Facebook accounts because they'll just set it up for each job. Yeah. Because they don't want to have that level of intrusion into their personal life on their work wall. And f- so many employers are now sort of forcing you to use Facebook. Yes. So it's, it's not a real number. And I'm waiting to see when people start to notice or waiting to see when Facebook acknowledges and cracks down. Like on, in some ways they do. Mm-hmm. They're mostly jerks about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it mostly affects women and people of color. Mm-hmm. But eventually they're going to be like, somebody's going to notice. Like it's not going to be Facebook, right? <laughs> Facebook isn't going to be like, oh, so those user numbers, I'm sorry, we were off by about two-thirds sorry about that they're not gonna say that they're not gonna say say that that. it's gonna be some like you know times report you know the new york times reporting right like the thing with uh the nice clothes emperor (laughs) i know right the thing when uh it was vice news that blew up facebook for like total lack of any regulation on the political thing where like they just made up a whole bunch of bullshit and said that they were a whole bunch of people that they were absolutely not and they did not actually post the ads because they felt like that would be like an actual liability for them Mm -hmm. they did however get permission to post the ads (laughs) like like representing like senators and like mayors and like all these like political like that they just were not representing and they did not have to just, just do any proof whatsoever for their political thing. Like it's going to be something like that where, you know, vice news or Buzzfeed or the New York times. If, if the adults like, pay attention, I don't know if the New York times is going to be it. It's going to be Buzzfeed. Somebody else. <laughs> um, but just the, uh, just that idea. And also like good for Twitter. I'm so happy for them. Uh, of all of the terrible things that Trump has done, he's been really great for Twitter. <laughs> Cause let's be real. That's the only thing they have going for them right now. That is what is keeping them alive. And I'm, I'm also curious when that's going to bite them in the ass. It's, it's coming. It's just, that's just something that, that, that in the that corner is, sharpening That is teeth. not a stable business model. Nope. 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 That is not. Nope. Uh, but I still sign on to Twitter more than anything else because I feel like that's the place to get news right now. Like it's right there and it moves fast. Mm-hmm. You can find information from the source right away there. I mean, I guess that's ultimately like what what Trump has shown us. Mm-hmm. Like we like whether you love him or hate him, you're getting your national policy from Twitter right now. 
which is weird. Weird. This is not normal. This, this should is, not be happening. This but, is the future. But it is. Oh. <laughs> the future is happening on Twitter. So that's where I am. And uh, oh. I'm that and that's, you know, I, I like I like it when I start to hear numbers. It's like, yep, that's the reality we're in. Thank you for thank you for mentioning it. Confirming it. Mm-hmm. Confirming confirmation. So uh yeah. some post capitalism. <laughs> you wanted to get so you wrote it down twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I okay, let me back let me back up some. I but the, okay, let me back up a little more. Okay. <laughs> I found a post on Twitter. Good segue. That was yeah, I know, right? And I'll send a link to you so it winds yeah, up. Yeah, we'll get a screen notes. cap on the show notes. All right, awesome. Um, there's a chart that had made the rounds last year, and it shows the price changes in consumer goods, services, and wages between 1998 and 2018. Um, and there are things that have gotten significantly more expensive and things that have gotten significantly less expensive. The things that have gotten more expensive, hospital services, healthcare, textbooks, college tuition, childcare, medical care services, average hourly, average hourly wages, housing, food, mm. as I turn and look at you. Right. <laughs> Things that have gotten less expensive, cars, furnishing, clothing, cell phone services slash cell phones, computer software, computers, toys, TVs. Ask me what I find choking people's homes. What do you find choking people's homes? Everything that has gotten less expensive over time. Mm. It's like the, these things are cheap and then become hella abundant and people They're not are, just cheap but there's a new cool one every year yeah and it's like more give me more give me that one give me that mm -hmm. one. Oh, there's a new one good give me that one. Oh, there's a new style out give me that one so like you've got fast fashion fast cell phones fast cars people are getting things on the regular mm -hmm. and i go into homes and there's like a drawer dedicated to Old cell phones. Hey, what? I need those. I Wait, did wait it? a minute. Why do you have to go right to my shit, dude? I'm, I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. I'm just saying you've got some. But I'm some trying to like intuition into my <laughs> closets. I have not shown you any of these things. I, I I am a I am an intuitive person, and I can pinpoint a lot of things when I'm with a person mm. <laughs> anyway carry on I'm sorry to interrupt oh sorry about that but no there's that whole thing with consumer goods being produced for consumption and people are doing the thing they're supposed to do and are, I'm using quotes around supposed to do but they're consuming the goods give me the thing give me the next give me give me it's a given and it's a given in the way society functions like everything hinges on how quickly you can consume these things mm -hmm. and not even consume to the point of using them up or wearing them out like you talked about with retail items mm -hmm. and ha like we were no, just talking about this last week it's not even that you're using things up or wearing them out you're using them until the next shiny comes along yeah 
And that is where the backup starts to happen with things in your, like clogging your space. Let me take a step forward from that. Uh, I belong to a business networking group, BNI, and in the group, you give a 30 second pitch every week on you, yourself, and what you're doing. I've been a member of the group uh, in like six months now, I think, and I've talked about various issues around organizing and death and decluttering and managing visitors over the holidays and like all kinds of things like that. But realized I didn't tell anybody about the podcast. So nobody in the networking group knew that we've been doing this podcast. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. It's okay. I'm gonna, so. It's better now. For, so this week, I stood up and I told the group about our podcast and I talked about how we kind of, and it just sprang into my head as I was talking, like we are talking about how to do business in what is poised to very quickly become a post-capitalist environment. And I use the word post-capitalist like standing up in the middle of this room of entrepreneurs. And I looked around the room and it was a very interesting sensation because I'd say about half of the people in the room were like, yeah. And uh, the other half of the people were like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and I sat down thinking, oh, I have either made a tremendous number of friends or a phenomenal number of enemies. And I'm not sure which. It's absinthe. It's like that. like, oh. That licorice, you love it or hate it. Yeah. And I'm like, Mm. But I think that reaction tells me something is there. There's something tickling at the back of people's heads. They get it and not even completely get it, like capital G, mm -hmm. I get it. But there's something in the back of people's heads that's like, eh. But can you see that offense defense, though? The people who are like ugh, rolling their eyes and just totally checked out, that's the defense. They're like, no, I don't have to deal with this. And people that are like perked up are like, yes. Let's please, can we, can we please have a conversation about There this? is something different mm -hmm. that is coming. So then going back to the change in, the change in price of consumer goods and how homes are choking on items that are cheaper because our role in- We're consumers. Is like, we're not citizens, we're consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, we do you know, have we're consumer not, sentiment. Yeah, we're not people. <coughs> we're users. Mm -hmm. I think that breakdown, if it's not, like, it's got to be coming, doesn't it? Like, we're not just going to keep chugging along, are we? I mean, we will. We could. That might happen. I, that, that is a very real possibility. My, my but preference think, is to not, really. I think there is a very real chance and a very real possibility to take some of this shit apart and examine it. And start to figure out, like, how the hell can we do something different? I don't know. I have no idea what the answer to that is. Well, we got the new green deal. Yeah. This week got announced. But, Not, we yeah, didn't yeah. get it, but it got actually <laughs> it's announced, put forward. So like put forward? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't know where these sort of questions and inquiry and examination is going to lead. But I think that... We need to start having these conversations. We need to start naming it. We need to start being cognizant of like broader shit and how what we do as Impact. individuals feeds into that. Mm -hmm. Like 
one as an individual and then two spreading out to our communities mm -hmm. and then three how that network of communities interacts like that which is sort of like the format of our show and like mm -hmm. what we're trying to address like no there's something going on here Mm -hmm. and like post-capitalist is the word that I used and like to pin it on and it might even be something completely different and that's not the right word we'll figure it out as we go we'll just like I mean but I yeah. would say that we're fully in a post-capitalist space of where we're starting to see like there's just tragic outcomes to the way that we've commodified everything it's like this we is we're already some seeing bullshit. it we don't necessarily see it at our doorstep but like it's coming you see they they are seeing it in Bangladesh which means it's coming. They're seeing it all over the place, but we just, we're really trying not to see it here. It's still coming. It's still coming. <laughs> Pay attention <sighs> to the canaries in the coal mine. You know what? The Actually, that segues right forms. into don't fight the future. Yeah. There's a lot in, I feel like. Wait, does that count as a rantifesto? It does. All Which, right. We're going to. We're going to both close on sort of ranty stuff. <laughs> and I like to share the ranty space for the close. So that's cool. <gasps> All right. Um, just that I am I particular, like as, as a young baby dyke, when I was that thing, I can say that word. You can't. Um, <laughs> I, I really, you get this like old man sort of thing of meh kids get off my lawn rah, rah, rah. I like my old thing my old thing is very good rah, 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 rah. you know it's like a cultural thing where we're like just gonna embrace that old manness of just like rah, I'm crotchety, crotchety and I like fuckers. things the old way I don't know I don't want to learn new things rah, 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 rah. I'm not asking for directions you, you know? can't have crotchety uh, crotch. <laughs> that was funny um but the thing is 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 humans love convenience yes and they love convenience more than they love uh, personal freedom and rights, to be perfectly honest. Yes, they do. So the reality <laughs> is, is that there's going to be a, uh, what is it, the, the device to read to you and talk to you that's going to be live. There's going to be live recording devices in your homes. you got this thing that you can talk to in your pocket that's more powerful than any computer your parents have had. The answer slab. And it's just not going to stop. So the part where you're like, the part where I was like, I'm not going to do the thing. Like, it took me forever to get a cell phone. I was the last of my friends to get a cell phone. No, you weren't. That's true. I was. I mean, <laughs> that might be true. Um, but there's just a, once I just got over it and I was just like, no, I'm going to embrace this. That's when all of this started happening. Mm. When I started seeing that the technology, the price point on the technology and the technology itself is actually better it's not just cheap but it's really good i don't know how they did it i'm sure there's an environmental impact somewhere i'm sure there's a impact to people who make the stuff and i'm sure we're going to figure that out i actually believe that we're going to figure it out i believe that i'm a very very hopeful cynic <laughs> Like, we can't keep doing this. And if we fail, here's the thing about if we fail. If we fail to stop the earth from cooking us, the earth will be fine. Oh, yeah. We're going to cook ourselves. It couldn't happen to a bunch of better monkeys because no, we did I it mean, to it ourselves. Was... And if that's the fate of humankind, then pff, that's fine. It's going to be like a there dog shaking are, off water. There are places in the Amazon where tribes have been known to clear cut 
and they're growing back. The earth will recover very, very quickly, I believe, once we have realized that we've fucked ourselves and stop it. And to do that, we have to acknowledge the way that people are treated to make these electronics cheap, hmm. to make our cars and toys and clothes, all these cheap things that we have. There's a price being paid by someone else for those cheap goods. And we have to, we have to acknowledge that if we're going to be able to function in the future. We can't just keep externalizing the cost of producing these things. But that's not going to stop the future from happening. It's not going to stop the technology from being developed. No, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep going with it. It's just going to get more expensive. You're going to have to be more mindful about taking care of it. I would love to see, like, they had, um, they had a thing in one of my cyberpunk books that was just like you had a really <laughs> nice laptop case and you could just refill it with parts. They just replaced the parts, but you yeah. had, like, a nice artisanal, like, wood-carved case. case. If you can't open it, you fancy. don't own it. <laughs> and, like, like, we got to think about ways to do that in the future. Like, the, the technology isn't going to stop but we got to make it better and more sustainable. Don't fight the future. Don't sit there like with your pager. Like, like I'm sure there's somebody right now rocking a pager. Like it's cool. Like, nah, I don't need your cell phone. You know, I, I have grandparents are, who are refusing to get off their flip phone. We are steadfastly refusing to get uh, a home speaker. <laughs> yeah. That's when I, I, I got the home speakers. Yeah. Okay. And it's just, once I, I was, once I was spending time with Gary V and him just being like, look, you know, you can either not do the smart speaker or you will know how the smart speaker works later. Like if you choose to opt out of it, it doesn't stop the smart speaker. Yeah, no. You're going to have and to figure it out eventually. You just need to like, the, the coolest thing about the smart speaker is my kids can ask it questions and I don't know the answers but the smart like the, the, it's the cutest thing in the world to me it kind of freaks out my co-parents when they come over and the kids are like I love you Google it's super cute they'll be like hey Google I love you and the Google will be like oh the feeling is mutual like it's super cute and it's I know it's that's I know cute, it's, but it, I mean, but Google can't love you back. I know Google can't love me or they my children. They can't love you back. <laughs> but it's going to be able to, having it in the home, like my kids are going to have it later. It's like the encyclopedia They're already, set, the World Book Encyclopedia yeah. set from the 70s it's that the, lived on the It is that now for the kids the right shelf. now. Yeah. There is plenty of, there's, there's schools that are in, installing the smart devices mm -hmm. in all of their dorm rooms because it's basically like your mom. It's the reference librarian. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, and, and yeah, they can ask it questions. super simple questions that you just didn't get asked, answered yeah, earlier. I would get handed those reference inquiries and it's like, okay, but this he, is the new future. Like, here's the directory. Go hit the stacks and you know, like I've got 20 minutes or like, <laughs> or like keeping your kids off of screens. Like you think your kid's not going to have screens later? No, they're going to have the screen. They just don't develop a tolerance to understanding how to regulate the screen if you don't expose them to the screen. Most of the friends that I have that didn't grow up with screens have like no self-control with screens. Mm. It's just, they like have it on all the time. Like I have two friends 
that didn't grow up with screens at all. They grew up on farms. And like they have no self-control with it. It's on all the time. You're not going to stop the screen from being a part of your kid's reality. Your kid's most likely going to get to school and get a screen. Like I have sat in on the meetings where Apple is teaching people how to write textbooks for an iPad. Mm. Because it's, it's, uh, there's so much, um, it becomes like a video game. You interact with it. You can interact with it. You can watch little videos about what we're talking about it. You can bookmark it. It, it. Like I, I actually, I do a lot of my reading on tablets and devices now, even though I'm staunchly against the speakers, uh, because I am able to take notes quickly and make larger, uh, revisions and things that I'm working on and go back and forth with reference materials. It's great. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So embrace the future. Yes. Be aware. Pay attention. Meditate. Don't spend all of your time on the screen. <laughs> but they're tools. Don't spend none of your time on the screen either. They're, it's like it's going to become the... a pro- Like if you're actually actively ignoring the thing, like it's going to leave you at a disadvantage at a certain point because mm. everybody's going to be on these platforms. Kids are going to start getting tablets at schools. That's 100% Apple's intention. That's what they were talking about. In the, in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it's better for a lot of reasons. It's better for the kids because their backs aren't chugging around this giant backpack filled with tomes <laughs> that they don't, need to, they don't need that. Again, the artifact, right? Why is the artifact? Is why your, do you need this three-inch science book? To carry around everywhere. Versus the information. Versus a tablet. It just makes so much more sense. We're all, we're just going that direction. It's going to be great. Embrace it. But let's be mindful and think about these externalities. Let's think about these outcomes. Let's make sure we're taking care of everyone. An axe is a tool. And you can fuck yourself up on one. Ooh. A tablet is a tool. It's true. You can fuck yourself up on one. So like, just learn how to use it. So I feel like that's a good closer. Yeah. We've got a lot of time. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're good. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. If you would like to contact us, Mm. you can find us at uh, kindnessecon.com and you can email us at kindnessecon at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Tell us what you'd love to hear, what you'd love for us to talk about. Want to hear more ideas. Feedback. Feedback I love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just like go out and be kind, motherfuckers. Please take excellent care of yourself and each other and the world around you. I hope to see you in the future. Have a great day.